Hey folks, welcome back to another podcast episode of Lifting Laughter in Life with your hosts, Nick and Aaron. What up, Aaron? What's up, Nicholas? Same old, same old. You know exactly what's up because we've been together all day. <laughs> <laughs> same old, same old. So what, what are we uh, going to be talking about today? Cool. So since I have um, the very one and only Nicholas Nutting on the podcast today. Oh. Special guest. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to be talking about training programs, kind of just how to set them up. Um, We're going to go over progression, progressive overload, training to failure, training submaximally, and tracking progress. Kind of just the basics of setting up a good program. Um, So I guess let's get started with the first one. You see this if you follow any fitness influencer or any coach online, you hear a lot about tracking progress. So why exactly is that important for programming, and what does it do? Do a lot of coaches actually say that, tracking progress, or do they say it in a different way? Mm, A lot of them do, like, okay, so the biggest hype I hear about is mainly progressive overload, but that entails, like, you have to have something to track to be able to go with that, but just in terms of, like, a beginner, like, why is it important for them to either, like, put it in their notes or take a notebook in and track either their weights, reps... Um, why is that important? Yeah, that's definitely something I see a lot, like coaches saying, I apply the principle of progressive overload, but then they don't talk about it. Sometimes yeah. I wonder if it's because they don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot of different, there's a lot of different ways to apply progressive overload. Um, the way that I prefer to do it, uh, well, shouldn't say prefer, one of the ways I like to program it is uh, using a like a linear progression, um, but the importance of the tracking of it is because if you don't know what the hell you did last week, or let's say, better yet, you do a block of training um, that you programmed for yourself, and you don't know what you did for that block of training on your next one, how do you know where to start? You know. Um, yeah. So I I think that's kind of reason number one. Uh, so that way you're not doing the same thing over and over, and you're like, why am I not growing? Like, well, your body has adapted. Um, like you need to add stimulus in a new way um, whether that's adding more weight um, adding more reps adding an extra set um, whether you're using well I know a lot of like a lot of concurrent programs what they'll use is like a (sighs) fuck I lost my train of thought (laughs) the paper started blowing and I totally lost my train of thought yeah I don't know where I was going to go with that what exactly is that? Um, it's just a different way. So that's a, that's another good topic is like, um, not to go off on a tangent, but periodization gets thrown around a lot. And what that is is just, in layman's terms, it's a way of organizing training. And concurrent is just a different way of organizing your training. Um, and honestly, a lot, of pro, a lot of programs, like they'll say this is linear periodization, and then I look at it, and they have concurrent in there where they're actually training They'll have, like, you know, uh, undulating periodization um, where they'll have, you know, higher days, lower days. um, And then they seem to train, uh, like, three different uh, pathways, energy pathways. Like, one day will be endurance rep ranges, and then another day will be strength rep ranges, and then another day will be, like, you know, bodybuilding rep ranges. And, like, that's when you're training um, different energy pathways um, depending on who you ask but according to lead FTS that's more concurrent 
training periodization. And a lot of times, a program will have like two or three different uh, styles of periodization within it. So the idea behind periodization is just to have an organized training plan. Um, that's really all that is. Cool. And then just to preface this with anyone that may be new to our podcast, we are mainly coaches for strength training. Um, this does apply to either hypertrophy or other types of training as well, but we focus on this podcast for strength. We um, focus on the ATP and CP pathways. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So tracking progress, that's important. Yes. Um, I know you did mention like you want to be able to progress not mm-hmm. only in the weights, but maybe either the reps or the volume or the time in that's between sets. That's what I was going to say. So a lot of those concurrent programs, they'll have, um, like, they'll start at a different range of motion. Like, let's say they start at, like, box squats, high box squats. Um, maybe their next block they'll be doing, and that's another thing, they'll throw in block periodization in there. Um, and that's just breaking the training up into different blocks. But before I go off on another long Nick tangent, um, basically the next block they would do, uh, like, let's say, um, let's say like an SSB squat. So they're, they're not just controlling. So they'll, they'll use a lower box and they'll use an SSB. This is just an example. So it'll go from like a camber bar, high box squat to an SSB, slightly lower box squat. Um, and that's just, it's a new stimulus, different range of motion. So in, in their, eyes they are progressively overloading by increasing range of motion and making the lift um, a little bit harder maybe maybe it'd be ssb to cambridge bar whatever it is but it's just a different way of controlling the the load itself it's kind of like if um if your coach realizes that you're a really strong bencher um, and wants to make sure that you aren't beating yourself up too bad like in a hypertrophy block is probably not going to have you doing comp bench three times a week you might have like a three count pause and then like a pin uh, a pin bench and a close grip bench something like that so that way he's able to control your levels of fatigue um, it's especially good with lifters that you find aren't able to intelligently hold back they just think dude i gotta train hard to be a badass (laughs) so when you know you're dealing with somebody like that you're just like okay i'm gonna control that then by making sure you can't load up too much weight that's an important part um that kind of leads into our other topic training to failure um Mm. so that is very popular i know specifically within the bodybuilding realm um it's kind of less common within powerlifting just because if you are training correctly you I mean, we do compound lifts majority for our training, so you you can't actually train to failure every time you train. Yeah, you wouldn't and, you wouldn't make it past the first week or two. Yeah, you'd start feeling like absolute shit, especially if you didn't use any transition, you know, weeks leading up to it. Yeah, you just jump, you just dive right in. Yeah, you can't can't train to failure all the time. Uh, it doesn't mean that we don't. Um, there are times, and it's it's usually to technical failure. Um, just, you know, for reasons of, you don't really need to push past that with compound lifts. You're getting so much stimulus from, you know, a, a low bar squat. You don't need to do an RPE 11 <laughs> and, and risk hurting yourself. Um, not to mention you probably have other squat days. Uh, you got to think about the carryover uh, into your deadlift. You got to think about the fatigue carryover to your bench because 
your squat on Monday will affect the bench on Tuesday um, and vice versa. So, you, you know, you got to make sure that that you're thinking about those things when you are programming. Now, I'm not saying to be scared of programming for yourself. I know a lot of times coaches, when we talk, sometimes it sounds complicated, but there's a learning curve to it. Just apply simple principles um, and you'll learn over time. Cool. Yeah. So that, um, that covers that. That's exactly what I was going to say. Cause Nick's actually making, not making me, but I'm reading one of Chad Wesley Smith's book and it talks about training to failure and how, I mean, you nailed it. it if you train to failure on your squats, say on Monday, and then you have maybe bench or deadlifts the next day, like it's going to affect your training, whether you think it is or not. Um, so you can't always train that way, which is why it is important to follow a program and to make sure you're not ego lifting, um, which kind of delves into RPE. Um, I know we both follow that reading. Wasn't that made by, uh, Mike? Um, well actually it's been around for a while. It was used for like endurance athletes, but yeah, Mike Tushier kind of, he took it and, and applied it to powerlifting, um, which is really, really a, a good idea. Um, there, there is a downside to it. That's why what I like to do is a recalibrating week where basically you'll just take your compound lifts and you will take them to failure. Um, you'll take like what you think your five rep max is, take that number and go to absolute failure. If you end up hitting that five rep max for 10, well, now you know you haven't been training that hard because your RPE sevens aren't actually RPE seven. Um, but yeah, that's... Yeah, and I know when I first got into training, I didn't even know what RPE was. Um, I would just track my weights, my reps, and I was just like, okay, so I did this much last week. Let me try to do more. Um, Which so, is good. Yeah, but can you kind of explain why it's more beneficial to maybe use RPE or, like, what it means? Um, well, honestly, RPE is it's just another way of regulating, um, of kind of... Applying enough stimulus without overreaching um, in a non-beneficial way. So, like, I don't know, like Chad Wesley Smith, um, I tend to do it sometimes, too, um, just because I like his style of training, but it's not for everyone, uh, is that there will be, like, you know, a couple weeks where you're working up toward an RPE 10, and then you'll do your RPE 10 week um, on the last week before your deload, or you're doing alternating periodization so you're doing your second week is your max on your, on your deadlift and then week three is your max on your squat and bench or however you have it programmed um it's just it's a way of intelligently periodizing your, your training um but rp itself it's i wouldn't say it's necessarily better than percentages um but it does lend uh, more experienced lifters uh, a little more leeway so that way let's say you know you're on week two you're doing deadlifts and you just feel like absolute garbage so if you had a percentage let's say it was like supposed to be 86 percent and you try to lift 86 percent for whatever your your reps are let's say it's it's sets of three and you're just like oh my god i feel like dog shit well with rpe you don't have to do the 86 percent it's rpe whatever it is, say it's RPE 7 or 8, um, you can down-regulate the, the amount of weight you're using to match the RPE of that day. Um, 
and it's going to be defined as however you define it um, you still want to make sure you're pushing yourself it's not an, a, a way to excuse yourself from working hard but it's just another method that we have another tool in the toolbox I think it's really useful too for um, mainly more like lifestyle people because if you do have like a really stressful day at work or you didn't get as much sleep or some weird thing happens in life you're just like okay so I am more stressed so I'm going to use this tool and I'm going to do what I need to to still progress but not push myself too hard well and there's very few like power lifters like even high level power lifters that don't work a job yeah so I mean I don't, I don't even know of any for sure that only do powerlifting. Um, other than, like, maybe Russell or he, but, I mean, he still has stresses in the form of, like, his gym that he opened, videos that he puts out, uh, whatever clothing he's, you know, putting out there, whatever it is, there's other stresses. Um, so it's it could be beneficial for everybody. The only reason I caution it with, like, beginner lifters is because they're... You have newbie gains. You may find it more beneficial for yourself to train closer to failure. Um, you're not going to be able to provide your body as much stimulus as somebody who squats 800 pounds. Um, so that's why, like, things like starting strength, um, the 3x5, and 5x5 five five strong lifts, those are great programs for newbies because it allows you to add weight um, each session. So that way you know that you are progressing. And then once you stall, you can you can change it. You add more volume, whatever you need to do to continue progressing. Um, yeah, it's, that's a, It's another tool. That's a good point. Because I know personally with me, I still am kind of a beginner, but I tend to um, way undershoot. I think I'm a lot weaker than I am. So it'll say like RPE, like seven or eight, and I'll just like be way under. I'll be at like a five or six. I'm like, damn, I should have pushed a little harder. Um so that is true. Yeah, I can't tell you guys how many times Aaron will put a weight on, and I'll be like, no, let's do 135. And then she'll do it, and she's still got another rep or two in the tank. And I'm like, yeah, I'm glad we went up and <laughs> weighed. Because, you know, when, when you're a beginner or early intermediate, you're, you're stable, still able to make gains pretty quickly. So A lot of it, too, I think, is just like a mental block. I get scared of seeing big weights. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't do that. But, like, I can. So it's just getting over that and realizing, like, hey – just got to do it. Yeah. Um, okay, let's see. Cool. So I don't know if this is too vague of a question, but as far as, like, progression, um, how, like, when and how do you know <clears throat> to add in new, um, new, like, exercises or when to start a new block or how long do you typically go before? Because I know on social media it's pretty common to be like, oh, like, you have to... Uh, what do they say? Uh, like shock the muscles. Uh, um, muscle confusion. Yeah. So when do you typically well, change that up? Well, let's touch on muscle confusion first. So because it it is a real thing, but not as it's defined. Um, it's so there's adaptive decay, um, which basically is you're a bo- your your body's going to get used to a certain stimulus. So like if you're doing like. Let's say you're an advanced level lifter who's got a pretty damn good total. Um, if you're doing comp squat all the time, like your your ability to make gains, for one, your ability to combat fatigue is going to be a lot harder because you're stronger. So you're able to put a lot more stimulus to your body. 
um, but your body's gonna get used to that lift. Like, so I mean, you have to add other lifts. Uh, so that way, you can continue to make gains. And it's, it's fighting that against directed adaptation, which is, it comes along the lines of the principle of specificity, right? So it doesn't mean that you're doing um, single leg leg press as an overloading exercise. Um, you're still going to want to do some form of squat, mo more than likely. There are going to be times for using, you know, the leg press, the hack squat, and all that stuff, and completely get away from those compound exercises, but that's going to be in the off-season. That's going to be when you absolutely need it. Um, we're talking about working into your hypertrophy training. You're going to want to do some different variations. And then as you get closer to meet, you want to be more specific. It's like when you're in your peak if you're still doing box squats or something, there's something wrong with your programming. You should be doing competition lifts when you're in your peak. Um, there's really no way around that. So trying to keep the, the directed adaptation uh, continuum along with fighting adaptive decay. Um, it's a balancing act. But it's not going to be that hard for beginners and early intermediates to intermediates and even late intermediates to continue making gains using a lot of the same exercises as long as you're switching them out you know every four to eight weeks um whatever that might be could be as simple as going from comp bench twice a week with close grip bench uh to changing that close grip out to something else you know whatever your weakness might be if it is triceps maybe a high pin bench um and that right there will combat the uh, adaptive decay um, and you can just maybe change around your your intensity levels or your volume on your comp benches so making small changes can go a long way you don't have to completely rearrange everything cool and I don't know if this is kind of the same question but speaking in the same terms um, I know we just recently took a hypertrophy block. Um, explain, like, the importance of, like, if you are a bodybuilder or a powerlifter, the importance of, like, doing more, like, for us, doing more hypertrophy work um, and more volume, more pump, and for a bodybuilder, doing more, like, strength training and more compound movements. What are the benefits to that? Well, like, for us, that was more just to build muscle and give, give our bodies and brains, especially... Sometimes there's mental fatigue where you're just so tired of doing the same shit over and over that you lose your love for training. Um, and that's important to make sure you're doing shit that you like. Um, it's, it's kind of a long game. That's what we're thinking here is long term. So the reason we did it and we started doing bodybuilding style training was not only to build extra muscle but also give us a mental break from powerlifting. Um, and then you go into hypertrophy itself as it pertains to powerlifting you still got to have specificity in there so that's when we're going back to different variations of squat bench and deadlift um, that is more or less to prepare you for strength blocks uh, so that way you know you have a base to build on build a little extra muscle a little extra work capacity um, and then you move into strength blocks now depending on how much muscle you carry is going to depend on how long those hypertrophy blocks and strength blocks can be. Um, bigger lifters are able to hang on to muscle for longer. That's just a fact of the matter. And then enhanced lifters also, if you're taking performance enhancing drugs, 
you're able to go through a lot more strength blocks without having to worry about losing muscle. So. Cool. Yeah, that answers that. Cool to others. Cool. Yeah. So, training some maximally. What exactly does that mean? So, it's. You got to think of it again in terms of specificity. So for us as powerlifters, it's going to be as it pertains to our one rep max. Uh, so training submaximally um, is going to be it's going to be training in submaximal rep ranges. Uh, it's there's really no necessarily a right or wrong way to do it, just because a lot of lifters are different. I think we talked about it before. Was like Brett Gibbs, how like going into a peak, the dude's not even touching like heavy shit on his deadlifts just because he does not respond well to that yeah so leading into a, a meet he may have been touching like 70 to 85 percent of his one rep max that's just what works for him um but the idea is that you're training below failure um that's that's it so a lot of times you'll see in a lot of the literature that training submaximally uh, is far more beneficial for strength for for strength and power and speed um, now training for hypertrophy tends to be a little bit different um, and it, it it does come down to experience level as well um, but I don't think we're gonna really get into that basically for power lifters if you are newer you may benefit more from training closer to failure um, and as you get better you're going to want to train a little bit further from failure um, and ultimately what you want to remember is that during training you're not trying to set PRs you could be setting rep PRs whatever that's great but I'm talking about your singles like if you're maxing out all the time you're having these grinders absolute grinder singles you want to put a grinder up on the platform that's when it matters. I mean, you look at some of the great lifters out there. They Their competition lifts, their lifts and meets, are so far above and beyond what they did in training. And people are like, how is that possible? Well, it's because they're, they're saving it for the platform. They're, they're using volume um, through, you know, they're training submaximally, but they're getting enough volume in at, at higher percentages that they're able to take that onto the platform. Um, they're using a functional overreach, what they like to call super compensation. That makes sense. Does it? It does. Okay. Yeah. No, that was good. That's kind of how you explained it to me last time, which okay. I understood more. Um, yeah, I mean. Do we want to just talk training? Do you have anything you want to bring up? Uh, yeah, let's talk about transition blocks, because I know people were confused about that. Um, like, so the reason you would program in transition blocks, which is basically where you're, you're adding in volume into, like if you're going into hypertrophy block, let's say, and you want to do sets of 10, um, well, you want to lead up to that. So you're going to do those hypertrophy level intensities starting at you know, fewer sets of six, and then adding in sets, but also doing sets of eight the following week. And then maybe you jump up into the tens, but you're still using a little bit lower intensity, and you ramp that up over the next three to four weeks 
up to a deload. Um, the transition blocks, basically, like for us coming from hypertrophy, like bodybuilding style hypertrophy, we needed to kind of ease back into it. I know I did for sure. Otherwise, I will just destroy myself, <laughs> be a cripple. Um, and it's it's just a way of easing yourself back into training something that your body's not used to doing anymore. You've taken such long time away that <laughs> weights that you used to think were just so light, a few days in, you're like, dear Lord in heaven. <laughs> And you're just like, why am I so beat up? And you're like, oh, yeah, because my body's like, hey, man, the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I remember going into our strength training again and just, like, the first day back at squatting, I was like, holy shit, this feels so heavy. Yeah. But, like, before I was, like, repping that shit super easy. Oh, it's yeah. just your body wasn't used to it. Yeah, there's, I mean, the doms are very real when you're starting anything new, like, Whenever you have taken time off from training in general, and you come back and you start doing training, you think, oh, I'm going to get boss of the well my first weekend. And then you're like, oh, I'm so sore. And a lot of those people fade off for a couple of weeks and then come back and do it again. It's because you're jumping in, you know, feet first and just not really coming into it with a plan. So the doms that set in are just, it's so painful. Yeah. Oh, and that's why it's, like, anybody can, like, train and get progress, but it, it makes a huge difference when you actually have someone programming and coaching, like, the right way yeah. and smart because, I mean, you have to program in transition blocks and deloads, and you have to learn the the person and what they respond to best. Yeah. Yeah, the, the day of the, the bro mentality is definitely dying out. Um, you see elite level bodybuilders and power lifters all training intelligently they're not just going in being like yeah i guess today i'll do stiff-legged deadlifts like no they have a plan and they're going to go after it um and they have the experience to know when to pull back when to push um, and they have coaches telling them so it's it's a matter of working hard but doing it intelligently yeah well, that's like before I even met you, I was training for probably maybe two years. And I mean, I looked the same from the first day I started lifting. Like my forms and stuff got better, but like weights were typically the same. Like my body didn't really change a whole lot, except for like when I made adjustments to my diet. And then I started, I mean, you started programming for me and I'm like, holy shit. Like I didn't know I was capable of all this. And it just goes to show like when you actually use science and some grit and use them both intelligently like you can go so far absolutely it's a big difference i mean when i was when i was just a a wee gym bro um i mean i had a great bench like every gym bro but my squat and deadlift were pretty shitty um i just couldn't get strong couldn't really grow um and it wasn't until i you know i myself learned about nutrition and programming and then also got a coach that I was able to take not only my knowledge but my lifts to a new level and my physique because um, I mean your body has no choice but to grow but you've also got to make sure you're fueling that training um, I know for a lot of the bodybuilding community especially around here there's just an epidemic of like eating disorders where people are afraid and they restrict and restrict and they binge for a whole weekend. 
Um, and the whole idea behind more flexible dieting is to allow yourself to eat those foods that you enjoy um, and to do it in moderation. So that way, like, it's kind of like the whole idea behind telling a teenager he can't go out drinking. That teenager's going out drinking. <laughs> yeah. So if you say, you know, son or daughter, like, please be responsible. If you need a ride, don't you hesitate to call mom and dad. Um, it's, it's something where if you put it in front of the person, you say, hey, you have permission to have this. Um, just, you know, fit it into, fit it into your diet where you can then it's less likely to be a problem. Cool. Yeah. Um, just another topic. I don't know if there's an answer to this or not, but say you do have someone who's been programming for a while, but they have come, this might be too general, but they've come to like a plateau. What's typically the first thing that you'll take a look at? They're programming for themselves? Yeah. Who's, who is this uh, faux person? <laughs> um, like, did you have an idea of this in your mind or no I was just thinking like because I have a lot of people like for Renee or like beginners who are like oh my gosh I've plateaued like I'm not making any progress typically what's the first thing that you would look at um is it like volume is it intensity is it the way that they're training well I mean am, is it in general? this scenario yeah in this scenario am I already keeping track of their form making sure their their lifts aren't dog shit mm, let's just say yes okay um then yeah, I'd be interested, probably in a beginner, I'd probably think, yeah, we need to probably uh, add in a little more volume, whether that's like a fourth day, you know, if they're training three days a week, or, you know, something to that effect, but yeah, it's probably in the programming, typically. Um, yeah, they, they are probably going to need more volume to continue progressing. Um, I mean, there's a lot of ways to do it, but there, I wouldn't say there's necessarily a right way. Um, as long as you're able to, I would say in that scenario, I would probably get Renee on a program, uh, similar to what you're doing right now. Um, which honestly shouldn't be for a while. She should be able to progress on something like a three by five or five by five. Like for myself, what I did when I first started, um, when I was like, okay, I'm going to get serious about the squat bench and deadlift and overhead press. I did starting strength. Then I did five by five, um, and I think I did a uh, Wendler five three one uh, with you know some of his boring but big or uh, incorporating Joker sets things of that nature. And then at that point, I looked at others programming like the Bridge from Barbell Medicine. Um, I looked at some of Mike Tashir's stuff, and then I looked at uh, the Juggernaut method, and I realized one thing is that the volume actually went up a little bit and the intensity went down. So, you know, light bulb went off. I'm like, okay, well, all these people who are better at programming than me found that increasing volume was a way to do it. Like Chad's way was, okay, well, most beginners need more muscle. Like, you know, once you max out the, the neural um, part of, of strength gains, you have to add in more tissue. Um, that's probably the next move you want to add in more volume whether that be a hypertrophy block or I'd say if she came to me I would probably use something closer to a juggernaut method um, 
not necessarily the way Chad has it set up, but yeah, it'd be it'd be waves, it'd be tens, eights, sixes, fives, threes, something of that nature, uh, just to keep progressing. Because at that point, you do need a little more block style periodization. You can't continue just doing the same shit anymore. You're yeah. adding a different kind of stimulus. Sweet, yeah, that's a good answer. <laughs> I didn't really give you a whole lot to go off of. <laughs> um, but yeah, cool. Um, I know another thing you kind of been... I don't know if we already touched on this, but um, I know you did mention diet, but you have talked about how a lot of powerlifters in our area, none of them really track or yeah. they, just, they just eat. That's what they say. Oh, I just eat. That's what I hear every time is, I just eat, bro. So, like, even from a girl, like, <laughs> I just eat, bro. Yeah. <laughs> um, can you kind of explain why it would make such a big difference for them to like actually start tracking or take their nutrition into consideration? For consistency. I mean, just like training. Um, if your training is consistent, you make consistent gains, right? So if you're eating the right foods in the right amounts consistently, um, that's, that's going to have an effect on your training. I mean, it's huge. If you look at like, you look at pro athletes, they typically have team nutritionists that program for these people. Um, so I would say one of the things I notice is diets that are probably a little higher in fat when I actually look at what the, the individuals eat. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of funny because you then see those kinds of people drinking Pedialyte and eating high carb stuff at their meat and you're like, you understand why you're supposed to do that or you do it because you saw an influencer do it. <laughs> It's cool. It's there's a reason behind it. You need yeah. those electrolytes for uh, muscle contraction. You need to be hydrated for all the same reasons. Um, you need carbs. Carbs are the fuel for the power lifter. If, if you're not fueled, your your strength is not going to improve. For sure. Um, so I think a lot of power lifters would benefit from. They probably get in a little bit too much protein. Um, a lot of them. They are meat eaters. <laughs> they like their steak and their their burgers. Um, nothing wrong with that. That's a great source of proteins. Personally, my favorite is red meat. Mm. Um, but I think if they were able to find the right uh, nutrient balance that's a little bit higher in carbs, just enough uh, fats to make sure that your hormone levels are maintained, and enough protein to rebuild on what you're tearing, Yep. they would see a huge increase in performance. Um, I mean, a, a, a year into um, powerlifting, like from this, my uh, hospitalization, it was only a year later that I ended up putting, was it like 530 on the platform on my squat, uh, 360 on bench, and like 570 or something like that on my deadlift. Um, it was a year later. And I attribute a lot of that not just to the training, but the nutrition, because it was in higher carbs. Yeah. Now, prior to all that, I paid a little less attention to eating enough and just making sure that I, you know, was shredded all the yeah. time, which doesn't fucking matter on the platform. It's, being the most shredded guy on the platform is more than likely going to guarantee that you're not the strongest guy on the platform. Carrying around a little bit of body fat is beneficial. Uh, you want to make sure that you're eating in a surplus. Now, if you're going to try to cut for a meat, I really hope that you are an advanced level lifter. Like, you're going to 
win Raw Nationals in whatever form that is, or you're competing for $25,000, whatever it is, there should be a reason for cutting. If you're a beginner and you're cutting, you shouldn't be cutting. Yeah. Your coach shouldn't encourage you to cut. Um, I forget where I was going with that, but the, the main takeaway is get more carbs into your diet. Pay more attention to what you're doing. Get MyFitnessPal. It's fucking easy to use, and it's free. And if you need macronutrient help, reach out to me. If I need to be the nutrition guy for power lifters, I'm glad to do it. It's easy. It yeah. really is. It's so easy. This is not bodybuilding. It's a, a retarded monkey with pink eye can figure this shit out. Yeah. And if I show you, you'll be able to do it for yourself. You'll be able to do it for your friends. You'll do it for your girlfriend. Look like a smarty. <laughs> so reach out to us. If you want help with your programming and nutrition, reach out to us. Don't hesitate. We're willing to help you. Yeah. Moral of the story. Consistency. Same with training. Just track. Most death. Most definitely. Track your food. That's a big one. If you have a powerlifting coach, they don't know shit about nutrition, reach out to me. I will work with them. Um, so, Erin, we recently tested her maxes again. We're going to do that every four weeks until she plateaus on this program because that's what you do. You ride out the gains. Um, what we found in her deadlift is her we- is her weakness is off the ground. Yes. So we were doing uh, sumo deadlifts, which could be a good one since they are somewhat quad dominant. Um, at least, you know, off the floor, they're very quad dominant. So we were using sumos as an accessory. But I've always found snatch grip deadlifts to be so much better at addressing that weakness for conventional lifters. Um, so that's what we're doing for her. We are, I took out the sumo deadlifts, put in snatch grip. Um, her bench, I had no idea where the weakness was <laughs> because she had never used uh, wrist wraps before <laughs> and she didn't realize that it, it could change her bar path. So on her last match, she hit 185. She was able to get it by the skin of her teeth. <laughs> um, the bar went down. She was about to set it just below her nips where they usually land and she realized that she couldn't do that bar path anymore which I think is a good thing because the way her close grip is she needs her elbows tucked more so I was glad to see that the the wraps helped address that but now we had a new problem she's sitting there at about an inch above looking like she's doing a spoto press she has to lower the bar three inches down her belly and then set it down for a pause then she brings it up and it looks like it moves about a foot back over her head. <laughs> she locks it out. So I'm watching this on the video going, I cannot address a weak point because the whole fucking thing was a weak point. <laughs> so we're working on bar path. That's going to be our focus right now, getting her more used to those wrist wraps. Uh, I got her her own wrist wraps by Strong Yay. Strong, Meg Lifts. Um, shout out to Shannon Shelby for... Yes. <laughs> For uh, introducing us to her her stuff. She got one strong bitch socks. Mm-hmm. I actually wore them today. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that was something where I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep the close grip in there because you are a tricep dominant bench presser. We're going to keep that in there. Um, if we squat. see a weakness somewhere else, then we'll address it. And then her squat was kind of mid-range, um, which I had never seen it. It, it was hard to tell. If I watched the video so many times, it was hard to tell if it was weak quads that that led her to somewhat good morning it, or if it was her quads. 
her her quads were engaged and then she decided to use her back i could not tell but she was driving her back into the bar the way she should so i'm like you know what i think we're going to keep it the same but we're going to work on um we're going to change out your dumbbell chest supported row to a bent over row sitting at your weak point so just just below where she was about to fail is usually where I'll program a sticking point because that's usually where your sticking point is because that's where it's slowing you down. Um, so that's where she's doing her bent over rows now with a little bit of uh, body English in order to address that point just because I couldn't exactly tell what the problem was. But she thinks it's a lower back strength issue. So I'm like, all right, we're going to put you in that position a little more, just a little more. So, what do you do? It was like three sets of something. Yeah. Yeah, three yeah. three sets of that. Um, and she'll do that once a week. Uh, it's just a slight little change, and we'll see if that helps with her squat. Um, again, little changes for beginners go a long way. Um, they also go a long way for, for more elite guys, too. It's the little changes. Yeah, well, that's just to add something. That's like what I've noticed the biggest changes with like during training it'll come over and be like hey tweak this real quick and I'm like oh shit like that little change made this weight feel so much easier yeah. and just like with my bench and my RDLs and like my bent over rows you'll just change one small thing and it makes a huge difference so I think that's why it's good to record yourself during training or send it to somebody or yeah. just to watch yourself because those little tweaks can really really change a lot get that to your coach listen to their advice um, they'll They'll be able to see what's going on. Um, if you don't have a good coach, holler at your boy. <laughs> um, that was another thing I was going to say. Uh, I guess that was it. I think that's one of the things I miss about like more in-person stuff is because it's so much easier to see those little issues because you might not do it on the set that you send me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if any of you guys want like in-person stuff, You'll find me at Iron Vault. Um, I'm free to go to other gyms, too. Um, I know Lift ATX is a good spot in East Austin. Um, there's also Big Tex. That's uh, another great gym. But if you do prefer in-person, you're like, Nick, I'm not down with online stuff, um, hit me up. Maybe we can work something out on that. For sure. Yeah. And, I mean, 1010, I recommend. <laughs> <laughs> Um, kind of all I had. Okay. Well, we can polish it off right there. Yeah. If y'all have any questions about training or nutrition or anything powerlifting related or, I mean, anything in general, this is kind of a whatever podcast, life questions, any fitness questions, holler at us. Nick, how'd you land such a hottie like Aaron? And I'll probably It was a smile. <laughs> <laughs> I showed her my tooth and she was hooked. <laughs> Literally, her bra strap got hooked on my tooth. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> uh, All right. Should we wrap it up? I think we ought to wrap it up. Well, with that, guys, we are signing off here at Laft- <laughs> Laft- <laughs> Lafting Lifter and Lift. <laughs> <We> <laughs> Lifting out. Laughter and Life. Later. Bye, guys.